0: I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on coronavirus in the prison system. Men and women behind bars are facing challenges that none of us can imagine who are on the outside. Lack of sanitary supplies, lack of information, lack of proper protection. And now we're seeing spikes across the country in prisons Across the country, in prisons with the coronavirus infections, the rates are going way up. Joining me for this conversation is Stefan Short. He's a supervising attorney of the Prisoners' Rights Project for the Legal Aid Society. Stefan, great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Charles Tucker, Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney and a partner with the Cochran Law Firm. He's also the author of a new book called Five Brothers. Charles, great to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Also joining us is Sol B. He's formerly incarcerated. He is a reformed gang member, working dad, and community advocate for the youth now, and co host with his wife, Isha J, of the hot podcast, Hustle and Love. Sol B, great to have you with us. Bye, Issa. Thank you. Uh, Stefan, one of the issues is we saw on the outside, just in, the, in society in general, Extreme shortages in the early months of the pandemic of just basic things like sanitizers were being sold at jacked up prices. We have heard reports that in some of the city city jails there were inmates did not have soap, they did not have some of base like super basic cleanliness things. What are you seeing in terms of the availability of cleaning supplies, sanitary things, and sanitary precautions in the state system?
2: Right. So we know that, you know, prisons are notorious for not providing the type of supplies that incarcerated people need. And certainly that's the case today. Um, Certainly that's the case and it's been the case throughout the pandemic. So, you know, we've been litigating basic conditions issues in state prisons since the seventies. I can say that when it comes to COVID-19 and when it comes to hand sanitizer, early on incarcerated people were essentially forced at certain prisons to make, to manufacture hand sanitizer for, you know, three cents uh, an hour, you know, for absolutely ridiculously low wages. And even uh, those products were not provided to the incarcerated people that made those products. So at a lot of facilities, we were pushing superintendents and pushing the department to provide hand sanitizer when we knew that hand sanitizer was being manufactured by our clients, right? And that continues today at many of the facilities, hand sanitizer is now provided. The same thing with masks. You know, we're, we're told that Folks are being provided one mask and being forced to use that mask for an extended period of time, even after it's dirty and no longer adequate. Again, that's not appropriate, right? I mean, masks are the most basic protection against the virus. And you know what goes on and on, other cleaning supplies, other hygiene supplies, folks lack the ability to clean their cell in their area, folks lack the ability to you know clean common areas and there's lots of congregation that happens in those areas so it runs the gamut i mean from from hygiene supplies cleaning supplies masks you name it uh, there are both shortages and refusals to
0: provide things charles in, in terms of the in terms of the interconnection with society because there are those what do you say to those people who go well you know they're behind bars because they were found guilty of doing something wrong so we don't really need to worry about them and yet we see prison staff, there were visit, visitors, family members, our friends and relatives who would come in and you, you can't isolate a certain population, no matter how bad you try. What kind of rights do inmates have? What kind of constitutional rights do they have that may be being violated?
1: Well, I think the violations are highlighted or even heightened uh, under these extreme conditions. I mean, when you look, there's no national response you know, for those of us on the outside, and you can see the challenges a lot of us face, you know, you can see the outbreak, you know, taking a, a rise uh, in a very accelerated fashion. Imagine in a incarcerated individuals, and those sitting in prisons who are falsely accused, let's not forget those individuals, right. you, know, you know. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, you know, there, there's almost a culture that those individuals who happen to have fallen short, you know, they deserve less. So lessons given to them, uh, and so a lot of times the rights that you know myself and uh, great individuals like Attorney Short, we're, we're fighting for are are basic rights, not even like something like that's basic human to. basic human rights. Right. Like you're a human, right. human being, right? Can my client get a phone call to call his family? You know, he's 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 doing his time. Can he get a simple phone call to call his wife? I have a guy who's incarcerated in supermax. He hasn't been able to speak to his wife or he, he has the, the privilege of having several wives, but, you know, he, he hasn't been able to speak to at least two of them for over two years. You know, like basic rights is what we see being violated, as well as a compromise uh, to basic safety protocols that should be afforded to every citizen.
0: So be one will be one of the measures that they, try, they were taking in New York State and in other states around the country is early release of, of people, people being released due to the coronavirus. But in terms of when you're behind bars, and, and also the other measure they took was to lock down, prevent visitors uh, from coming in for a long time in the federal prisons. What does that do to you when you're behind bars and you can't have any visits and you can't get information and you know something is going on that could possibly take your life that you have no control over? Take us into that mindset of somebody who's well, behind bars t- t- facing that. Well, technically, if you apply,
3: you know, being in, you know, the closeness of the cells are not six feet, number one. So if, if the virus is contacted by, contracted by an inmate, the next door individual, like I said, if something comes into the cell block, as I was explaining to you, like the flu, Everybody's going to be susceptible to it. I mean, like, like domino effect. One guy. So now when you're talking about something is as lethal as the COVID and these superintendents practicing these draconian policies where they don't really care. Honestly, because if they did, they would take this measure, but they feel you're in prison for murder. You're in prison for robbery. You're in prison for rape. You're in prison for whatever. You know, I'm here. First, security. That's why a lot of these preventive measures are not being, you know what I'm saying, active immediately. Because first is care, custody, and control. Then your health comes next. Right. So that's the main thing, the draconian power of security. They don't believe that you should have that. And then the police is bringing it in. If you're in 30 years, how could you contract COVID? Right, it's obviously somebody, come, somebody coming in or somebody having that of interest. Course. Yes, it's like right out of a science fiction book, man. I, I don't know, man. It's just crazy because here these guys is just, they're just sitting there in a cell. They're letting them out like periodically. The, the ventilation, all the things that say airbound that allows you to, to, to contract the COVID are there already right. for ventilation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Windows, no air circulation. Right, exactly.
0: Everything that we're supposed to do to mitigate it and make it better is you know to make people safe. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about coronavirus in the prison system. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts. And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 97. You did.
0: I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on coronavirus in the prison system men and women behind bars are facing challenges that none of us can imagine who are on the outside. Lack of sanitary supplies, lack of information, lack of proper protection. And now we're seeing spikes across the country in prisons, across the country in prisons with the coronavirus infections. The rates are going way up. Joining me for this conversation is Stefan Short. He's a supervising attorney of the Prisoners Rights Project for the Legal Aid Society. Stefan, great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney and a partner with the Cochran Law Firm. He's also the author of a new book called Five Brothers. Charles, great to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Also joining us is Sol B. He's formerly incarcerated. He is a reformed gang member, working dad, and community advocate for the youth now, and co-host with his wife, Isha J. of the hot podcast, Hustle and Love. Sol B., great to have you with us. That Thank you. So, Stefan, in, term, in terms of the New York State prisons, have you been seeing certain patterns emerging? And, you know, because we have heard about these early releases. In fact, it's became kind of a political football um, for, for, for various candidates and various elected officials. But are there certain patterns that you see throughout the New York State prison system? Well, I
2: mean, you know, on the issue of releases, I think the pattern is a total lack of response and failure to meet the moment by the state. I mean, that's been the pattern since April. Um, we identified well over 200 individuals for the Department of Corrections who were extremely medically vulnerable or of advanced age and eligible for some form of release to prevent you know, their contracting COVID-19. And unfortunately, only three clemencies have been granted by the governor since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, medical parole is essentially uh, unused by the Department of Corrections and by the governor uh, to this point. And, and, and that's the pattern on the part of the state. Um, I would say the pattern in the facilities is, is um, spikes that appear to be isolated but maybe aren't so isolated because we don't have the testing data to really show what the impact is across the state. Um, and, and I also wanted to touch on a couple of points um, that Charles and B made, um, just to say that this is the epitome of a community problem, right? You have communities, correctional, correctional officials and, and correctional staff and incarcerated people who are all being impacted by this airborne pathogen that spreads quickly. And the, the, the political issue around people who are convicted of crimes and people who are in prison and this idea that they deserve less is at its utmost absurdity in this situation, where if we don't provide incarcerated people with the care that they need and the cleaning and hygiene products that they need and the protection that they need, they're going to infect staff. We're going to infect communities around Which the facilities. Right. We're going to have serious issues, and that's right. That's exactly what has happened in Greene County. That is happening in the Elmira area right now. And so this is an opportunity for people to come together for prisoners' rights issues because it benefits everybody. And that's the narrative that we have been uh, pushing since the beginning of the pandemic. And and we're waiting. We're waiting for the state to take that seriously.
0: Charles, in terms of the, you know, we've been getting health guidance in it you know, as you say, there, there's been a lot of, a lot of things and information and procedures lacking just for people who are outside the prison walls. But when you, when you look at just the way, you know, we always say you test the rights of the people by those who have the least rights or have the least power, and you look at what's happening in with inmates regarding this disease, what concerns you the most? Uh,
1: The the lack of concern over their health, Uh, you know, uh, the, the, Health and safety of the inmates, you know, to be it should be part and parcel. It, it should be it should be like a privilege. It should be a practice, and it's it's not being done in a way that makes a systematic uh, sense to me, for lack of a better term. And it causes a situation where okay, now you have an opportunity to release inmates who potentially are the most vulnerable It could potentially be the most affected by this virus, shouldn't they get out first? But when you, you hear stories about individuals, you know, being let out because of political connections, it, 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 it gives you, you know, like a grim picture. Okay, it's the same old politics, you know, at play here. You know, there's no concern about the inmates themselves who are trapped in a situation where they're not getting the proper supplies. They, I mean, it's a, it's a perfect storm, so to speak. And they're left to die in prisons uh, without ever being able to have been in contact with their loved ones. It's it's a tragedy of uh, monument uh, proportions. And in a lot of respects, it's very sad. It, it paints a sad uh, story about what our prison system is behind closed doors. No,
0: absolutely. So, be what about the pressures on the families who have- All right, well.
3: I'm gonna have share okay, I'm going to share something with you. I have a family member, Vance Jackson, who, who's in windy. He's being penalized right now because he has bronchial asthma. And the mask basically prevents him from breathing. And they have totally isolated him. Like he's done something punitively. You know what I'm saying? No visits. No, you can't come out yourself. cell showers weekly because he refuses to wear the mask and he's asking them for a preventive, okay, an option or alternative because the mask he has bronchial asthma. He can barely breathe. So he he's being locked down 24 hours a day because of you know what I'm saying? And the medical staff are not creating options for individuals who have underlying factors, which is the breathing. Right. You know, being able to breathe. So you know, he's right now, he calls me and he continuously complains. I have another friend who's been in, he's in Comstock, uh, George Branch. He's been writing the governor. He's trying to get out like the brother uh, Charles said. He's trying to use the COVID, you know what I'm saying, to because he's what, 60? He has all these underlying factors and they place them, what they do with individuals who they believe is in high risk factor, they place in all of them in one block individuals who has the virus they placing them in another block so in green haven this is and soon as they soon as you contract it they isolate you and all these guys are just in another cell block like just totally isolated from the population
0: and I think that's draconian it's like an experiment they yeah. put you in d block yeah, and plus probably not practical. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about coronavirus in the prison system. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter
3: Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. I'm so glad you're
0: joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on coronavirus and the prison system. What is going on behind those walls? We're finding out with our panel. Joining me is Stefan Short. He's a supervising attorney for the Prisoners' Rights Project for the Legal Aid Society. Stefan, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Also joining us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney and partner with the Cochran Law Firm. He's also the co-author of a new book called Five Brothers. Charles, great to have you with us. Happy to be here. Lisa. thank you. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Sol B. Was formerly incarcerated, recently released, a reformed gang member, and co-host with his wife Isha J of Hustle and Love. And now he's working and also working in the community with the youth to try to get the young men to turn their lives around before it's too late. So it'll be great to have you with us. S- Stefan, in, in, uh, in terms of the steps that need to be taken, what is legal aid, what are you guys trying to do to try to make the situation better?
2: Right, so, you know, I'll address the steps that should be taken inside, but first and foremost, what we've seen is that there's no way to protect people from this virus without sufficient releases. Right. Um, overcrowded facilities, Folks need to be released to enable social distancing, and that has not happened to the numbers that needs to happen uh, to this point. So that's first. And that means the governor has to use his statutory power to grant clemencies, to grant commutations. The department has to use its statutory power to grant medical paroles, to get people out of these draconian conditions. So that's first. Without that, all the other steps are not going to work. But what needs to happen inside the facilities is, I mean, we have the CDC guidelines, right? So the department needs to follow the CDC guidelines on testing and test people, all people, at routine intervals, both staff and incarcerated people. It needs to implement quarantine measures upon entry into facilities that are real quarantine measures where people are in quarantine for 21 days and tested before they leave quarantine. And quarantine's not solitary confinement. Quarantine's not supposed to be punitive. That's what all experts say, and the department has completely ignored that guidance. And then within housing units and within cell blocks, Folks need to be given adequate cleaning supplies to clean their area on a daily basis or as frequently as they would like to clean their area. Folks need to be provided the opportunity, if they need to, to um, eat meals in their cell, to otherwise isolate themselves in other congregate areas. And you know, all the other measures, masks, hand sanitizer, just basic, uh, basic tools that the CDC and other credible health agencies have said protect people from this virus. I mean, it's really not rocket science, and what right. we're seeing is a department that has simply chosen to ignore expert recommendations rather than implement the, the simple things that all of us try to do on the outside to protect ourselves.
0: And Charles, as they, as they talk about trying to control the spread, you know, we've seen outbreaks in the middle of this the second, the second wave. There's also been an issue with city jails, too, where you have people coming in, some people going out, well, not as many as before when the courts were, were completely closed, but in terms in terms of the strategy, there seems to be no tracking either. There seems to be a big shortage of that. Well,
1: again, it, it comes from a lack of a, a nationwide mandate, right? Nationwide direct direction. Uh, to Stephen's point, you know, that governor, you know, stands as one of 50, right? So imagine if you had a situation where the federal government is ordering the governors to be accountable for their own states and say, okay, look, let's start moving forward with getting these individuals released. We have these facilities, let's do right by them. And in a lot of respect, some of these facilities uh, should be shut down. They should have been down, you know, I, I'm, I can say Rikers and is one, there's a bunch of facilities in Mississippi. You know, my partner Carlos Moore is fighting before the, the pandemic broke out, where you had a, uh, one of the facilities in Mississippi where 27 inmates, have died. That was pre-pandemic because of conditions, there, you know, uh, guards allowing riots to take place and other, you know, it would cause the compromise of the safety of inmates. So we really have to look at a total restructuring of our prison system. Let's create a situation where the, the incarcerated feel safe, you know, even outside of the pandemic. The pandemic has just caused it to be a playground, you know, where uh, a feeding ground for the virus and, you know, taking out bodies left and right, it, even putting the, uh, the guards at risk at, at high levels.
0: And then they take it, they, then they take it home to the community, to their and family. So, they, they,
1: so it's no wonder. I mean, I don't need to be Dr. Fauci to figure out why we
0: see the, the, the numbers decline and then you all of a sudden see a spike. Yep. So so, being, you know, we've heard a lot too with coronavirus about pre-existing conditions like people's age, people, but especially things like asthma, things like diabetes that are that are very common, especially in our communities. In terms of ongoing medical care, is there somebody if a, if an inmate feels sick that they can talk to or that they can raise a question about and say, "Listen, I need I need some help here," like like your friend with asthma. I'm saying, I'm gonna tell you the quickest way for
3: you to get a medical response is mental health. If you say, well, because of I'm feeling suicidal, they're on it. But as far as this, yo, my, my chest is hurting, my heart, all right, put in for sick call. They're gonna, you're gonna wait. Sick call may not be until three days later. So if, unless it's a death threatening an emergency or it's a mental health issue, because, you know, mental health is separate in itself. So right. if you don't use those measures right there, no, you're not gonna be. And I agree with both brothers, is that these governors, these governors should implement before security, uh, the health safety, as he said, the CDC or whatever he said, you know, uh, are implementing in society. Because these superintendents, from my personal experiences, Only thing they care about is care, custody, and control. And they're going to use that because the courts have, if it's a security factor, they have overruled a lot of situations concerning health, concerning your life with the riots or whatever. So I believe that, as the brother said, legally, these governors should begin to implement health First, in this point, we're not saying over no what We're saying right now or the community, the brothers inside and the prison guards
0: are going to be affected rapidly. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about coronavirus and the prison system. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood,
3: and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real
0: people only on Hot 97. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on coronavirus and the prison system. What is going on behind those walls? We're finding out with our panel. Joining me is Stephan Short. He's a supervising attorney for the Prisoners' Rights Project, for the Legal Aid Society. Stefan, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Also joining us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney and partner with the Cochran Law Firm. He's also the co-author of a new book called Five Brothers. Charles, great to have you with us. Happy to be here Lisa, so thank you. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Sol B he was formerly incarcerated, recently released a reformed gang member and co-host with his wife, Isha Jay, of Hustle and Love. And now he's working and also working in the community with the youth to try to get the young men to turn their lives around before it's too late. Stefan, that's one of the things that's, that's come out of the pandemic. I mean, I, I hate to say anything positive, but it just and, uh, in terms of an increasing awareness of how interconnected we all are, that there's no us versus them or them versus us. It's we're all kind, we're all in this together. That's absolutely
2: right. And, you know, we all know we fund these state prisons, we fund these federal facilities with taxpayer money, right? They should be publicly accountable. They're taking the public fisc. And so they need to be held publicly accountable. And that's always been the case. But particularly in this situation where these facilities are creating a public health catastrophe, they're driving a public health catastrophe because of the inability of governors, the inability of other public officials to deal with the situation inside these facilities. And so I do think there's a burgeoning awareness on that. And I also think there's a burgeoning awareness of the importance of decarceration, as Charles said, right? I mean, so long as you have a ballooning prison population, you're gonna have a public health catastrophe in your hands, even when there's no pandemic. And there are ways for us to address social problems outside of the punishment paradigm and outside of the criminal legal system. And until we figure out as a society how to do that, we're gonna have these issues in these prisons, whether it's a pandemic or it's some other public health emergency or it's some other scourge that only we can only address if we come together, absolutely.
0: Charles, in, ter- in terms of human rights though, are these prisoners' human rights being violated? Every single day. Uh, and
1: I believe, uh, Lisa, this pandemic has created a groundbreaking opportunity, you know, because, you know, it's funny, a problem doesn't exist until you admit that first is a problem, right? And Mm -hmm. the problem is, you know, for those of us who go behind the the, the prison uh, gates and we see, and then we come home and we living, it's almost like we're living in two different realities, right, you know, we're advocating for our client, we're trying to get them out, but through it all, we're trying to make sure they enjoy basic rights, you know, phone calls, visits, can they get legal mail? You know, a lot. I've had situations where my mail, you know, as an attorney, has been blocked. You know, set back. I'm not an attorney. Huh? Google me. Google me. <laughs> you, you. Association
0: of a bunch of states. <laughs>
1: exactly. exactly. My partner is president elect of the National Bar Association. You know, if that doesn't make me, uh, don't get me on. It. But, but, no, but, but, in, but tr- in terms of the games are played with these individuals. How could a person fight to get out of prison if they can't even effectively communicate with their attorney? How can a person communicate with, uh, you know, even feel like there's hope if they can't even have a phone call with their family member to let them know, I'm okay, I'm safe. It, it, it's, it's egregious. And I think now is an opportunity to start doing something about it. And like I said, it starts with holding each and every single go- governor accountable to the real uh, motivation behind the First Step Act. They have power too. And we hold them accountable to do their jobs and, and, and clean up these prison systems and stop the, the money chain, right? Because it's all about the money and the dollars that circulate as to Stephen's point. And you know, let's be real about it, you know, and really c- address the individuals who really need help and get those who don't even belong behind our prison gates.
0: No definitely and so, and so be in terms of what people can do to, to support you know to, to support uh, equal justice for everyone and, and respecting the human rights of those who are behind bars, what do you what would you like to say to people Well first and foremost, I can understand
3: what uh Charles is saying because I was a direct victim of those inhumane draconian process you know the thirty years that I did, you know and from my own personal experience, you know, even in modern times, these were things that were practices before prison reform. You know, when they were really penal systems, the penitentiary. So you realize, in the modern time, are these things still being practiced? From a personal standpoint, yes, these brothers have no human rights. You're not looked at as a human being under those circumstances. I don't know why. What's the psychological? Uh, effect of docs, how they indoctrinate their correction officers, but they don't see you. They see you as us and them. Now, when you're in the street, oh, you're a regular individual, but when you lock behind those bars, no. they, They don't see you as an actual human being, and they perpetuate that every day. So with this COVID thing, this health thing, I don't, you know, I just see brothers as is, like getting sitting ducks. You know what I'm saying? At the hand of the government. I mean, what else could they do? They have no outlets. No everything is controlled by the powers that be. You can't talk to your lawyer. You can't call your family. All in the name of security. So I should I believe that the governors should at some time deviate from that and focus on what is because it's affect us
0: in as well as out here in the community. All right. And, and Stefan, in terms of the in terms of legal Legal actions? Do you does Legal Aid Society? Does your project have any actions that are pending or planning?
2: Yeah, we we have filed multiple writs of habeas corpus to try to get people out of prisons and jails during the pandemic. Um, we've met mixed success in the courts. Um, we have several still active cases. We have some cases that are on appeal at this point, and we're gonna you know, we're gonna continue to push the courts to address the pandemic and address issues related to the pandemic, but. You know, one thing I'll say is that, you know, these types of revolutions do not happen in the courtroom they happen in the streets. Right. So we're going to continue to call on people to get out into the streets and to, once you're out in the streets, demand a major restructuring of the way we deal with social problems and criminal justice issues in our society. And that means taking funds and resources away from yes. systems of state violence and directing them into the kind of systems and interventions that build healthy communities. That's what this moment is about. And, you know, when we're not in
0: the courts, we're in the streets fighting for those things. And and, and that's the battle. All right, gentlemen, I want to thank you for being with me for this episode of Street Soldiers. Um, Attorney Stefan Short, supervising attorney for the Prisoners' Rights Project at the Legal Aid Society in New York. Stefan, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Also with us, uh, Charles Tucker. Charles, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. You're helping Soul Beat. Great to have you on with us again. Thank you so much. no lisa anytime, you know what I mean, you know, street I, I soldier. We're speaking out for those okay. who, whose voices can't be heard right now. Yes. And I want to say in the spirit of the show, where we believe in justice for all and that everyone's human rights should be respected regardless of their status, their state, their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their faith, whatever. Just because of being a human being, they should have the same rights as everybody else we're extending an invitation again to any of the correction officers who would like to come on the show and give their side, any of the, of the prison workers. I'm all over social media. My contact information is there. I'm on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Same thing on Instagram and Facebook. You can leave me a comment. We'll be happy to get your point of view out there to our audience as well. So thank you for joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind, it's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love,